Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Also ask that you subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, all there, plus at nationalreview.com on the podcast page. You can uh, listen, share, enjoy, and leave reviews. We're stuck at, we're not stuck, but we're at 90 reviews on iTunes right now. Who's going to be lucky number 100 to leave us a review on iTunes? Uh, My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And my tag team partner standing by, as always, after a week of rest and relaxation in sunny California, is Jeff Blair. Jeff. Well, I mean, that's the official story, but I think uh, we might as well tell the listeners that uh, we took a week off because we were having severe creative differences over how to edit the transition between our (laughs) Dire Straits episode and our present episode. And uh, I've been working on this sound collage that represents the the sound of my headaches, and we're going to be putting it at the end of this one. Look, Jeff, there (laughs) there are six different ways we can transition. Each one of them means something different, and I need you to pick one. (laughs) Exactly. I just wanted to work. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> you can find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. And uh, Political Beats, the show where we talk to people in politics, uh, around politics, covering politics, talking about politics, uh, about nothing political whatsoever, but only about uh, music and their favorite bands and musicians and artists. And we bring in our guest this week. He is a Republican strategist, a CNN commentator, former advisor to President George W. Bush. Governor Mitt Romney, Republican House leaders John Boehner and Tom DeLay. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin Madden DC. And as you might have guessed, his name is Kevin Madden. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here on Political Beats. Uh, thanks uh, so much for inviting me. It's really, uh, it's truly a, it's truly an honor. Uh, I'm a longtime listener of Political Beats, uh, even though I'm a first-time guest. <laughs> well, it, maybe you'll be a second-time guest sometime down the line. <laughs> we'll see. Before we get to the the band and the music, Kevin, we we, we give the floor to uh, to you. We'd like to find out a little bit more about who's joining us on the program. How did you enter this world that we described? Uh, well, I, you know, I actually started out uh, as a um, uh, in you know, I grew up in Yonkers, New York, and uh, I'm actually the son of Irish immigrants. And uh, if uh, you've got any Irish friends, you know that there's no shortage of opinions at the dinner table in Irish households. Uh, and uh, my parents were very politically involved in Ireland and uh, were also very, um, you know, they were very big on making sure that I read newspapers and, and were brought, was brought into the discussion about uh, current events. Uh, so I learned a lot about politics and was always reading a lot about politics uh, growing up. And, you know, one of the first jobs I had was as a paper boy. And uh, that actually got me into campaigns because who better knows the neighborhood uh, uh, than, than your local, uh, your local neighborhood paper boy. And, um, so I worked with, a you know, county legislators, city council races, uh, you know, canvassing neighborhoods, uh, door by door, even slipping some of their campaign literature into their, uh, into the, uh, the morning copy or the, or the daily copy of the then Herald Statesman, which was the newspaper in Yonkers, New York. So, uh, that's how I got involved in it. And then, you know, uh, as I went through college and got involved in, uh, com- uh journalism and communications and political science, uh, one of the first jobs I got was uh, out of, of, out of, uh, college was working for my best friend's dad, who was running for mayor in Yonkers at that time. Uh, so after having worked with him for a little while, I decided to, you know, I decided kind of Hollywood is the, or Washington DC is like the Hollywood of politics. I wanted to just pack up my car and come down here where, 
felt like the real big battle of ideas nationally was taking place. So that was how I ended up here. Uh, started working up on Capitol Hill and then eventually migrated over into the campaign world where I worked on President Bush's reelect in 2004 and then Governor Romney's campaigns in 2008 and 2012 while also doing a couple of stints up on Capitol Hill working for both John Boehner and Tom DeLay. So that's uh, that's the long and short of it. And uh, Kevin joins Political Beats today to talk about uh, one of his favorite bands. We have a lot to cram into the show today, so I don't want to get a large introduction, but tell you that this band is Wilco, uh, one of the great American bands. It's hard to believe they've been around now for 24 years, uh, 1994, after Uncle Tupelo split apart and Wilco Wilco came together. Um, For me, I, I have a deep personal emotional connection to Wilco. And their best stuff, in my opinion, coming out uh, correlated with my years in college. And it was the, the soundtrack of the dorm room for a couple of years. Uh, probably the band I've seen most live. They're a Chicago band, or you know, migrated to Chicago from Southern Illinois, and uh, and played a ton of shows. I, I, I've seen, well, I saw the last show that Jay Bennett played with Wilco. I saw the last show that Ken Coomer played with Wilco. I saw the last show that Leroy Bach played with, with Wilco. During that time when members were coming and going quite frequently. Uh, you can see me quite briefly in the Wilco documentary, I Am Trying to Break Your Heart from the Taste of Chicago uh, show, The Crowd Shot. And uh, man, I, uh, I just have such a strong connection to Wilco, as of course you'll hear as the episode plays on. We turn the floor over to Kevin Madden to tell us about why he loves Wilco, how, how you got into him, and why people should care about this band, Kevin. Uh, by the way, Scott, we, you, you should remind all of our listeners that you have that picture of that, the sc- screenshot That's from right. I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, the documentary, uh, on your Twitter feed. Yeah, um, I had to was, go back to the DVD and, and take a, a screenshot, but it is on my Twitter feed. If you want to see a 20, what is it, 21? 21-year-old me <laughs> in the front row of a Wilco show. Yeah, so why, so why Wilco? Um, I, I would say... They just quite simply, uh, I love them because they just they, they pour their hearts and souls into what they do. And if, if you listen to their music and, you know, if you listen or, or, or see them ever, how they talk about their fans. Uh, and if you see the way they play live, as you've mentioned, Scott, and um, and if you see what they've gone through with like just, you know, their record companies and with the critic critics of, of their their work, you know, you can tell that they give zero about commercial success and i've i've always liked you know music or film or literature you name it where the artist just has too much respect for the medium and uh and too much respect for the audience to just mail it in uh or just do what they think will sell Mm -hmm. and i think jeff tweedy as you know the, the 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 you know, the middle of the circle of Wilco and how he has, um, you know, built a culture of, 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 you know, appreciation for the art that they put, they, they put down on when, when they lay down a track and all the other band members. Um, it's just that, you know, they really put their heart and soul into it. And I have a great deal of respect for that. And I think that is something that is threaded throughout a very, very sizable ca- uh, catalog of work. Hey, Kevin, if you don't mind me asking, when did you first encounter them? Like, uh, what album was your introduction to them? How did you get in? 
Yeah, so the entry point is I kind of had to reverse engineer back to uh, the even the, like I, I'm not like a lot of fans where I learned about Uncle Tupelo and then followed the band in their different direct the directions, whether it was you know breaking off with Sunvolt or with Wilco. I remember the first time I'd ever heard Wilco, and I, I think I'd read little bits and pieces about them through like all of us as growing up. If you were reading Rolling Stone magazine or anything mm-hmm. like that, you sure kind of hear about this band, but. I remember sitting in my office back in Yonkers when I was working in Yonkers City Hall for the city council president at the time. And, you know, you're playing the radio and like the background noise. You, you know, you can't exactly play like 102.7 WNEW or any of these, like, you know, <laughs> uh, God forbid, like Nirvana comes on in the office uh, at work. So I used to keep on one of the greatest, if, if not the greatest radio station uh, out there, uh, 90.7 WFUV, which is Fordham Radio in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And they play a lot of music like this, which is, um, uh, you know, the, the, all, a very, very off the beaten path. You're not going to get um, a lot of, um, you know, top 40 hits on WFUV. You're going to hear music from all around. And the, 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 the song California Stars from the Mermaid uh-huh. Avenue uh, Volume 1 compilation came on. And I said, this might be the greatest song I've ever heard. <laughs> I like to direct immediate like i i went into back then you, you know it wasn't as easy to just uh you know you know pull out your smartphone and start and go through a click hole i probably had to log on to aol.com which probably <laughs> took about 20 minutes but i went into a d I, I said i have to find everything out about this band and at that point um uh that that was where i found out about all the roots that i had to go back so my starting point was actually not a wilco album per se but a wilco a collaboration with Billy Bragg and Natalie Merchant and others. But California Stars was the song that just hit me like lightning. Okay, I'm glad that you tell, told us that because I, I really think that where you come in with this band uh, governs how you end up reacting to them and feeling about them. You know, the, the people who were there from Uncle Tupelo onwards, they, they – I'm not one of those people. I'm, Scott clearly is one of those people, but they have like an almost tribal affiliation with Wilco. They will fight you over their love for this group, and they, they identify them with them personally. I, I came to Wilco myself, um, uh, like any kind of musically aware and, and you know you know interested kid did uh, through Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And this was, again, I, I remember these things all running together. So it was right, we talked about this on an earlier show. It was right after 9-11, and uh, a friend of mine, a girl I knew, uh, gave me a copy of Ryan Adams' Gold. Uh, and I never thought to myself I cared much about country rock or anything like that. And I, I listened to that album, and I really liked it. Then uh, I started seeing all these notices about, oh, this band, this, this, this suppressed masterpiece called... Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It's by a band called Wilco. This is before it had actually been released on CD. I don't. It didn't get released until I think the next year or something like that because it was still in limbo. 
and uh, a friend burned a, a CD of a recording that he had made mm-hmm. off of the internet. They streamed it live or something like that. It's like really like hissy MP3. I, I I got that. I listened to it, thinking, well, what is this band? They kept on saying, oh yeah, they're country rockers. They're country rockers. Now, if you if you have that in your mind, and then the first thing you listen to by Wilco is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, <laughs> you're like what the hell is going on here? Because there's not even the slightest country bone in its body on that record. And I think it was for that reason that I did not pay attention to them for a very long time. I got that record when it came out on CD eventually because I just felt like it was supposed to be in my collection. And I didn't really listen carefully after, you know, uh, you know, one or two spins. I moved on to other things. I was obsessed with Radiohead and Pavement. And it was only a little bit later when I came back, especially after having spent a lot of time getting into you know, country rock and also sort of deepening my fascination with art rock and stuff like that, that I found I found A Ghost is Born first is actually the next one I got. But then I went back and I found Summer Teeth. Holy crap, being there all the way to AM. And then all of a sudden I found myself, yeah, well, getting all the Wilco records. I I dropped off somewhere around um, Sky Blue Sky. But it took me such a long time to get into them because when you look at how much they've changed, especially over those first four or five records, every single one of them feels completely ripped out of its context unless you know the progression and that's really what's always fascinated me about about wilco i i I said this on twitter that i i've always my criticism criticism of them is always that they never quite lived up to that potential that i thought that they could that they always threatened to be the great band now commercial success obviously is always eluded them although they've obviously may manage to make a living nonetheless but artistic perfection on the level of say radiohead or pavement or some of the other groups from that era that i really do truly adore it was always just one tick away for them in my opinion on most of these albums until i recently went back as we were doing this show and gave the you know 400th spin to some of their earlier records and and i now hear things that i had not heard before and um they're never going to be my favorite band from this era, but man, I feel love for them. I, I've all these complex thoughts. I just started thinking, you know, as Kevin said, you know, Jeff Tweedy is such a fascinating character and he really cares about his relationship to his fans and to the music. And you hear that on all these albums, particularly through their early career. And it makes for some fascinating listening. So, which is why I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, covering them today. And I guess the place we're going to start, Scott, you are our designated driver <laughs> to, uh, to uh, send us careening quickly through the career of Uncle Tupelo and explaining the origins of Wilco. Go. Yeah. So, look, I already know the tweets. We'll see. Why don't you spend more time talking about Uncle Tupelo? Well, we'll do a show on them. We're hoping to do a show <laughs> Try to on do a them. show on them That's someday. Right. And we got a lot of Wilco to cover. But to, to set up Wilco, you have to know a little bit about uh, Uncle Tupelo, which was uh, formed right around 1989, 1990 uh, in, in uh, southern Illinois, Belleville. And this, this kind of combo of, 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 of like Neil Youngish alt country but with a punk undertone jay farrar was the was the band leader uh and, and jay uh, jeff tweedy played uh bass uh, mostly in tupelo and, and didn't write a lot of songs then the, the george harrison of the band <laughs> then as the band got going uh he wrote a bit more and they were good and one of the problems is that uh, jay farrar didn't really like that uh he was not the encouraging sort of, of jay's songwriting and yeah he got some songs in the albums but 
there was an incident where they were asked to play a late night show and they wanted to hear, a, they specifically requested a, a specific Tupelo song and it was one of Jeff's songs and Jay went nuts that it wasn't a Jay Farrar song. And he actually quit. Jay quit the band, didn't tell Jeff, told the manager. And um, they, they did not split up immediately, though. They had a tour on the line. And so to save their manager, who had put out a lot of cash to keep the band going, they actually agreed to go on tour a final time. As you might expect, the relationship was toxic. Um, and it did not go well. And I, I want to just point that out as, as kind of a, a harbinger for perhaps... Uh, Jeff's Jeff Tweedy's future relationships with others and songwriters and, and, and how he dealt with that. I mean, this was a bad situation in Uncle Tupelo. So they implode, and Jeff Tweedy ends up grabbing every member of the band except for Jay Farrar. Jay Farrar were By going, the way, Scott, i got to yeah. ask you to interrupt. Do they talk now? Are, are they completely estranged? Is it just My, still knives out war between the two of them, or have they ever had any sort of reconciliation? As far as I know, there, there's never been a real reconciliation. It is not a knives out war anymore, and I think there had been a couple of just like murmurs about, you know, maybe they'd play one more time or do something here. I, I don't think they're friendly by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I, I don't think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a gun drawn, guns drawn kind of duel between them. Uh, it's it's not the Byrne versus Tina Weymouth and talking. <laughs> Correct. Like, and I well, think at least from there's Jeff's- a YouTube, there's a YouTube video out there uh, because I have gone down the, the, the click hole trying to yeah. find out what's the state of this relationship and, and possibly a, you know, an uncle Tupelo reunion one day. There's a, there's a YouTube out there of Jeff Tweedy at one of his solo shows talking about how he ran into Jay Farrar with a random, um, uh, randomly on a beach at a vacation that he had, and that Jeff uh, and 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 Jay were actually renting houses next to each other, and they didn't know it until they ran into each other down there, and they had this, you know, this hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? And that was it, and they went their separate ways. <laughs> uh, and I think the, the 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 audience that was listening to 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 you know Tweety tell the story was sitting in rapt attention, thinking that like he was about to. Right. Uh, announced their reunion. <laughs> uh, but of course, the, uh, it hasn't happened. And look, and what, what Jay Farrar has done and with Sunvolt uh, and some of the music, I mean, I, I, I tell everybody to go take, like, take a listen at the last, last album that they've done. It's, it's extraordinary stuff. Um, but it, clearly, he's off on a, his own track and, and their, their individuality right. um, is, uh, I, you know, I think it's going to keep them apart. Yep. And so, as I mentioned, Jeff takes everybody except for Jay, forms Sunvolt, um, and, and forms a, a new band. They nearly kept the name Uncle Tupelo, and then decided, Dad, we'll scrap, we'll start all over, we'll do, we're Wilco. And so, that's where Wilco's story begins. Uh, and, and their first album, AM, from 1995. This is, look, by and large, a continuation of the Uncle Tupelo sound. It's a perfectly fine slice of 90s alt-country. Uh, there are some Good tracks. It's it's front heavy. Uh, you know the first three tracks are are really excellent. There's a few other decent ones. Um, I, I I've always been a big fan of Casino Queen. One thing I want to mention before uh, turn it over. You know, Brian Henneman is from this fantastic group called the Bottle Rockets. You don't know the Bottle Rockets? Check them out. And Brian Henneman played guitar on this first album for Wilco, and he's kind of the secret weapon here. There's a lot of songs that he makes better. Casino Queen. Uh, that, oh, yeah. This wild guitar solo from Henneman. Uh, the story goes he had just downed two bottles of gin and was mending a broken heart at the time. <laughs> and that's why he seems a little out of control on the guitar solo from, from uh, Casino Queen. Casino. 
And the funny thing is that people always like attack the lyrics of Casino Queen, saying, "Well, that's kind of like a dumb like country, like oh, Casino Queen, you broke my heart, you're so cruel." It's like, but th- that's the perfect kind of a song right. for a guy mending a heartbreak, <laughs> drunk out of his mind on booze to go solo crazily on. That's probably why he brought it to it. And I think that is. One of the easily you know, two best songs on the record. Yeah, yeah it's the one that has a, a John Stewart song, uh, the bassist from Wilco. We actually got a song because originally Jeff Tweedy wanted this to be more of a democracy in terms of a band that would not last all that long. John Stewart, uh, Stewart got one song on AM. Like too far apart late, which is really almost a co-lead uh, between Tweedy's vocals and Henneman's gu- guitar. They play off each other so very, very well. Uh, but this was this was a fine album. Is it okay debut? It got blown out of the water, though, by Sunvolt's debut, which is the outstanding album Trace, and and paled in comparison. That kind of set things up for album two. But of course, before we get there, you guys on AM. Yeah, the, Wilco reacted really like they got stung by the critical reaction to this and by the by Sunvolt's Trace, and so they've always sort of. I think you know looked at it with a gimlet eye and 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 treated it as the redheaded stepchild in the Wilco discography, which I think is completely unwarranted. This is a really fun album, and it's not distinguished uh, particularly uh, with respect to what came immediately right after it. But man, it opens so strongly. You said the first three songs on AM uh, are great. I would actually say it's the first four. I'd say, you know, you start with I Must Be High, which is you know, sort of the signature song on AM. It's, it's the one that comes closest to like uh, a radio hit. And it's a really kind of a fun rock song. And it's more rock in a way than it is country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I really love on this record is Shouldn't Be Ashamed. Yeah. That is great. Should have been in love is even better than that. And I think the other one that doesn't really get a lot of attention is Dash 7, which is a sort of a quieter acoustic song that they never played live. I don't know if they've ever played it live. I, I keep looking for, you know, like live performances of it. They may have done it once on a dare or something like that, <laughs> but they don't they don't cover it. And I think it's a really great song. I think a lot of the stuff on this record got left behind because Tweedy just changed what he wanted to do with music so mm-hmm. rapidly that they ended up looking at it and saying well you know this is this doesn't take enough chances and it's true it doesn't take chances but there, i guarantee you, if you're a wilco fan particularly if you like being there and you're like saying well should i go back and check out the first album yes do it you'll like it you will not be disappointed it's a pretty fine record yeah, I, I agree. It's a it's a fantastic record. Again, I came, I I, I started off with uh, Mermaid Avenue and Summer Teeth. So when I was discovering AM, it was after I'd sort of been in the middle of their catalog. But um, and definitely Brian Henneman uh, and the Bottle Rockets influences felt throughout it. It also has the same producer, if I'm if I'm right, Scott, as Anodyne. Um, yeah, I, I always right. saw it as um, as as basically the first of what I think uh, uh, are the. The Battle of the Bands records versus Sunvolt, uh, you know, being there, uh, being the other. But it, it is just, you know, pretty straightforward country rock. Again, I love um, A Must Be High is like a really fun song. Casino Queen, uh, you know, like Jeff said, it's just this kind of great country rock anthem of sorts where you really have this great kind of clap along, sing along quality to it. Um, and then Box Full of Letters, which that's actually one of my favorite Wilco songs. And it's actually my favorite song on this album, I think, because it's exactly why I liked and I've always liked Uncle Tupelo and Son Vault and Wilco, which is, you know, it's this love song with some really big, you know, fun guitars driving it. 
and uh, you know an upbeat melody and you know it's got some strong sing-along lyrics lyrics you know it's like for anybody with writer's block uh you, you know can can really fall back on the idea of like can't find the time to write my mind the way i wanted to read i got a lot of your records in a separate stack some things that i might like to hear but i guess i'll give them back i wish i had a lot of answers that's the way it should be all these questions being directed at me Just can't find the time to write my mind the way I want to read You'll come back again So, you know, it's pretty great. And I think um, I, I actually uh, love the, 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 the John Sturrett song, which is you know, it's notable that it makes this album because it does feel like Tweedy has been saying like, hey, look, you know, I'm not this tyrant that right. Jay Farrar says I am. I can yeah. let others sing their songs on my album and be cool with it. And, you know, I'm First also a fan last of, time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and but, you know, I'm also a fan of Blue Mountain, uh, which is John's yeah. side project with his sister. I, you know, I challenge anybody to go sit on a porch on a on a beautiful day and listen to Blue Canoe and not have it emerge as one of your favorite summertime songs. But um, yeah, and like, I would, I'll agree with Jeff on Dash 7. Like, it's a pretty haunting yet edgy, you know, kind of country rock lullaby. And um, I, I'm surprised more people, uh, I'm surprised Wilco doesn't doesn't feature it more as, as like one of the highlights of their catalog. Especially as Tweety like, got more and more into that minimalist folk vibe, uh, which you hear a lot on basically on the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot more than anything else. And mm -hmm. some of their later records, you'd think they would revive that song. One other thing I do want to say, and, and this is this is a sort of a theme that I'll, I'll return to when we discuss the later records in the career. One of the things that, that set Tweety apart uh, from Jay Farrar is the weirdly introverted nature of his lyrics. And I think one of the criticisms that I have of some of their later records that I get a lot of praise is that he moved away from sort of the direct introversion into this sort of avant-garde, almost, uh, you know, you know Burrosian cut up kind of lyrical approach. But on a song like Box Full of Letters, you know, which Kevin talked about, I mean, that's a love song. Sure, that could be like in, in another guy's, it's a country song. You could hear it, you know, recorded and played in a country style and in a top 40 style. But when you read the lyrics, it's very, very thoughtful. He says, like, I got a box full of letters that I think you might like to read. You know, some things you might like to see, but they're all addressed to me. Now, I wish I had the answers. Uh, what was it? You know, because that's the way it ought to be. Yeah. But Tweet. for all the questions that are directed at me, and it feels like he's just lost in his own thoughts, which is the sort of recurring yes. theme of of what Jeff Tweedy would be writing about in almost all of these songs for the next seven years. Tweedy's very tricky in that, uh, and we'll talk about this, in that there's always something more going on lyrically than it seems on the surface um yeah. especially for the next few albums but that 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 pops up again and again and again where you, know, you scan the lyrics and you think it's a, a love song perhaps and then you, you you figure it out and it's it's not quite what it seems uh and that pops up quite a bit i know how it goes so i just had to let you know i know 
My life's been stinking, my heart's been shrinking, and I'm too busy thinking to stop. So from 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 AM, uh, as I mentioned, Sunvolt's album Trace was so good, and they got I don't want to say pummeled, but look, people said, "Oh, well, you know, uh, Jay, he's the guy. He made the better album." They go back to the drawing board. Brian Henneman left right after AM was done being recorded to uh, go play with his band, the Bottle Rockets, and they bring in this guy from Champaign, Illinois, from uh, 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 who's in a band called Titanic Love Affair, and his name's Jay Bennett. And boy, oh boy, does he change! everything for Wilco. Uh, And Being There is next. A double album sold at the single album price thanks to uh, uh, Jeff Tweedy talking to the record label and and convincing them to do so. He gave up some some back end on that to to make it happen. But it's a double album that I I think is deserved. Um, You know, it's not like there are some double albums where you say, well, maybe if you cut a few songs you have a great single album. This is a great double album album and disc one or you know the first the first disc of material to me is nearly perfect jay mm-hmm. bennett comes in you know plays keyboards he really expands the possibilities of what this band can be and being there by and large is a is an album about music and a, an album about rock and roll and the lifestyle and the fans and the relationship between all of that stuff um, and there's a whole lot, as I mentioned, happening, I think, beneath the surface of these songs than, than meets the eye. And that's both lyrically and musically. Uh, you know, the, the later albums get a lot of credit for the studio wizardry of Jay Bennett. But there's a lot happening on being there in the background if you listen very closely. Uh, and, and that first album is so good. And it flows so well from start to finish. Uh, Misunderstood kicks things off at its... It's it's the it's the song that signals to the listener this is going to be different, right? This lurching guitar distortion at the start, um, and it doesn't really explode from that delayed gratification of the lyrics and the melody until the very very end when Tweety starts uh, his shouting of "Thank you all for nothing at all." Um, you know the up tempo ones here, Monday, a very Stonesy style, you know, Exile style track, horns and hand claps. Um, I, I think uh, the best, you know, rocker here is "I Got You," which is great. It's just a, it's a celebration, and you know, wh- what, what's it talking about? What does it mean? I, I have always pictured the "you" to just mean the audience, and I think that's why it played so hot in concert. "I Got You" would always be a be a great concert song for Wilco because it was about the interplay between the band and the audience. "I Got You," and that's all I need. Um, and that's what that song's about. It's a great up-tempo number. That's the end of the century. I can't think of anything but you.
almost feels like some sort of like uh, you know cosmic social commentary. We're at the end of the century, and I can't think of anything. Yeah. I got nothing to say. <laughs> I got no thoughts except you, you, yeah. you, the people out there listening to this. That's all I have to say. I should I, I should have some profound, you know, commentary on the changing of the millennium. But yeah, screw it. I'm playing the song for you in this concert hall, and that's all that matters. And at the very end of disc one, I want to uh, feature two songs. It does not slow down. The quality is, does not lag. Hotel Arizona, the second wow. to last track, is just phenomenal. Uh, it's got a really lengthy instrumental break. There's not a lot of lyrics in this song. Um, but uh, Bennett's organ here is just mystical. It's fabulous. Uh, and, and that very end, you know, the one more worried whisper right in my ear. Uh, Hotel Arizona is great. It leads right to what I think is one of the more underrated tracks in, in their catalog, which is Say You Miss Me. And again, it's one of those songs on the surface seems very clear. And I, I'm not sure it is. From a musical standpoint, I think they hit on all cylinders. What, what, what every member of the band was bringing at this very moment to being there is reflected on, on Say You Miss Me. It's got just gorgeous piano from Bennett, a little B3 organ, and the very faint, faint uh, background. And the lyrics are not quite what they seem to. It's not, it's not just this forlorn, uh, forlorn lover saying, you know, would you just say you miss me because I miss you and I want to get back together? It's more the, the way I read the lyrics is, is you know, that the protagonist is not looking to get back together, but he wants to know that he's missed. It's not yes. that they want to get back together. It's that he's fine. You know, uh, I know it, it seems that I'm taking my time to get back to you, that sort of thing. He just wants to know that that she misses him. And that's what the song is. I just love those deeper second, third kind of readings of the lyrics that bring out so much. I'll mention, you know, obviously Sunken Treasure, Kingpin from Disc 2 are fantastic. I think Disc 2 is not quite as perfect in my mind as Disc 1, but man, oh man, from start to finish, Being There is a phenomenal album and a massive step forward. Kevin? Yeah, I love it. It's, um, and I think the Jay, uh, the Jay Bennett, um, you know, the, I think they, Jay Bennett, like, so I was talking about earlier about what I love about Tweety and Tweety, you know, really taking himself seriously as an artist. Well, I always saw Jay Bennett as, you know, Jay Bennett saw himself as a, just a guy in a band. Mm. And I think that that tension was very much, uh, very, it's very apparent in the music. And I think it shows up here initially uh, in being there. And I also think, you know, Jay Bennett, you know, as, as Scott was saying, um, you know, expanding the sound of Wilco, you know, that piano influence really shows up here and in a couple of other albums and really does sort of open the aperture uh, for um, a lot of their artistry uh, in this. Um, misunderstood, for me, uh, this song 
you know, in the long view of their, uh, their entire discography, I think that really sets the stage for the truly unique Wilco sound, right? It's got like the slow, open, experimental production. Again, this big, bold, dueling, um, you know, musical showmanship going on in the song. And there's just, there's just a lot going on in that, uh, that six and a half minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, just a couple of other, a uh, couple of their highlights from that album, uh, like far, far away, I, you know, I, I love how it then, you know, kind of immediately jerks the wheel back onto the paved road. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, and, right. you know, it's this yes. great song with sort of the shades of <laughs> Neil Young, silver and gold. Um, but you know, there, there are some holes in this thing too. I, I think like out of sight, out of mind, I think it's a great song, it's, but it's, it's very poppy and it's just one of those. The, which one, I think it was one of the first songs released and promoted from the album. Yeah, uh, remember, there was still a record company out there trying to make money off of these guys. Um, <laughs> and, and they even produced this like cheesy video. I don't know if you've ever seen it where they show Wilco skydiving kind yeah. of, kind of that like example of what I was talking about, which is they were, they, you know, they, the battle of the bands period where commercial success, but the, the record company is sort of pushing them to sort of beat Sunvolt. Like, you know, that was important to a lot of people. Um, uh, you know, forget the flowers again. That's that's one of my favorite Wilco songs. I know a lot of people will say, you know, that kind of reminds me of like the Stones and, and Dead Flowers, um, probably just because of the title, but also because of the way the songs arranged. But I still think it's one of the real one of the real sharp points uh, on the album. Um, and you and you know, I got you at the end of the century. I mean, that is just a kick ass rock and roll song, you know? <laughs> I think it's one of their best uh, live tunes. Yeah. Um, yep. And it's just, you know, it's just as fun as all, as all get out. I, I probably disagree on Hotel Arizona. I, I never thought there was really anything memorable other than, than, uh, than the distinctive kind of um, band backing vocal, you know? Um, and uh, I probably agree with uh, Sunken Treasure that there's just some very. It's a very deep, serious, like earnest reflections by Tweedy that, that are going on in that song. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of the life changes that he goes through uh, as an artist are reflected in this song. Um, one of the most memorable lines, um, you know, music is my savior. I was named by rock and roll, maimed by rock and roll, tamed by rock and roll. Um, you know, that I think says a lot. You can tell this is, uh, you can tell Sunken Treasure is one of Tweedy's favorite and was a song um, it was also a song that he featured a lot during his solo yes. uh, acoustic tours. Music is my savior. But I was named by rock and roll. I was named by rock and roll. I was tamed by rock and roll. song on this record there are songs that aren't as good as others but there isn't a single bad song on this record and by the way <clears throat> i'm 100 percent certain 
I know why uh, Tweety insisted that Being There be released as a double album, even though it fits onto one CD. It would have always fit onto one CD, but he wanted it on two discs. And it isn't just because he's like, you know, it's like the, again, like Exile on Main Street, which is another double album that fits onto one CD. He did it because he wanted to make it pointedly clear to the listener how each of those discs opened. The first one Mm -hmm. opens with Misunderstood. The second one opens with Sunken Treasure. That is as clear-cut a declaration of intent and purpose by Jeff Tweedy and by Wilco that we are not going to be your, you know, safe and pleasant alt-country band. We're going in different directions because both of those are the most discursive and most sort of non-standard songs on this album, the ones that would – you never would have heard from Uncle Tupelo. You wouldn't have heard them on AM even. They are avant-garde sort of you know, alt-rock. I don't know how – art-rock really basically is mm-hmm. what they are. And, of course, they're both highlights of the record. They're, both, they're two of the greatest songs that Tweedy ever wrote. Um, I have love for this album that has only increased – it is the grower in their catalog. Summer Teeth immediately captivated me. Uh, but being there is an album that I've come back to over and over. And you know, maybe the older I get or the more the music sinks in, the more I love this record. And the funny thing about it is that I feel that Jay Bennett's influence on this is so incredibly and immediately apparent. And yet it's the, uh, the only record in their catalog where Bennett's a member of the band where every song is written by Tweedy. This is all a Jeff Tweedy gig. He wrote every single song. He gets the full credits. You know, presumably... You know, he deserved them all. And yet you see what Bennett adds in terms of the touches, in terms of the colorations to this. And you just have to be bowled over with the soul and the spirit he brings to them. And of course, for me, it's a song that none of you guys have mentioned yet. The one that perfectly, perfectly epitomizes this is Red Eyed and Blue which I am not sure if it's Wilco's best ever song, but it's maybe their second best ever song. If it's not number one, for me, it's number two. It's, um, I'm going to make an analogy. There's, there's an outtake from I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, where um, this is during the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot sessions, where uh, Bennett and Tweedy are just standing. Bennett's at the piano playing, and Tweedy is playing an acoustic guitar and singing, and they're working on an outtake called uh, Cars Can't Escape. It's a really great song. And it's, it's one of these magical moments where even despite the fact that they were having friction at the time, you see the chemistry between them. You see what, what Bennett brought just in terms of adding those soft, plaintive piano touches and, and that soul that, that Tweedy wasn't capable of bringing to himself. And the perfect example of that on being there is this song, Red Eyed and Blue, where you know, it opens – I think it opens with Tweedy clearing his throat, and then it goes into that very plaintive acoustic folk guitar melody, but that is made truly transcendent by Bennett just softly playing the piano as as he sings about, you know, we got solid stake technology, tapes on the floor, songs we can't afford to play, which sort of felt like where Wilco was at that time, you know, as their ticket sales were tapering off live and, you know, they've been responding to sort of, you know, the, the critical, you know, indifference that their first album had received. And so he wrote this song about feeling like he was stuck and he was trapped and Bennett brought that, that magical touch to it that would expand on the next two albums and basically captures why he was so important, even on songs that he didn't actually write, just as an arranger, just as a performer. He um, he made this band something truly special, and they were already really great.
tips on the floor Some songs you can't afford to play How much I miss you Alcohol And cotton balls Some drugs We can't afford On the way uh, I want to come back to Cars Can't Escape when we get to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That's one of my favorite, favorite uh, Wilco songs, which is now available from the Alpha Mike Foxtrot uh, release. Uh, this is uh, Political Beat, Scott Bertram and Jeff Blair and Kevin Madden at Kevin Madden DC on Twitter. We're talking Wilco between being there and Summer Teeth, the release of Mermaid Avenue with Billy Bragg and old Woody Guthrie uh, lyrics. Um, there was Mermaid Avenue 1, and then Mermaid Avenue 2 came a little bit later after Summer Teeth. I, I thought we'd take them both now, guys. And I don't have a ton to add. I mean, I've heard them. I like the Wilco tracks. I pay less attention to the Billy Bag- Bragg tracks on both of these albums. I know Kevin loves California Stars. I'm actually a bigger fan of the Wilco songs on, on the second uh, version. Uh, Feet of Man. Airline to Heaven is, is magical Amazing. in concert when they would do it. And then Secret of the Sea is just a great pop song. Uh, I actually like those Wilco contributions on the second Mermaid Avenue better than the first. What do you guys think? This is no mere side project. That's the thing that I really need to emphasize to people when they say oh Wilco with Billy Bragg and it just seems like one of these like all-star artist collaborations you can safely ignore no this is a core part of the Wilco discography and the Wilco story and of course this, the, the story is this that you know uh, you know Woody Guthrie had a whole, you know, reams and reams of un, uh, unsung lyrics that he just, he's a writer, he would write them. His daughter went to Billy Bragg and said, hey, would you like to set these to music? And Bragg, give him credit for this, he had the, the insight to realize that I, I, I am not the person who should do this alone. We need to get somebody, perhaps he was thinking of, you know, you know an American as opposed to, you know, some, you know, from a political Brit uh, <laughs> to, to really give a lot of these songs life. And so we went to Wilco, of all people. I think they had met on tour or something like that. Yeah, yep. And the result is, I, again, with Scott, I'm not really that interested in the Bragg half of this album. We've, Billy Bragg has come up on several of our episodes in the past, and I just kind of use him as a punchline about like a <laughs> dreary, politicized music. Uh, he does better on this than a lot of his other albums. He's not without talent. But what is amazing to me is how Wilco creates new songs out of Woody Guthrie's tunes. The words are Guthrie's, but the music is just new Wilco music, and it is absolutely on the continuum between Being There and Summer Teeth and then even later Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, this California Stars, you know, that's the one that Kevin said. Like, I heard the song on the radio, and I was like, holy crap, I got to get into this band. I love that song. I love At My Windows, Sad and Lonely, even more than that, actually, which I think is probably one of the best ballads they ever wrote. And the irony is that I think Jeff Tweedy sometimes feels more comfortable singing someone else's words than singing his own. The gift that was given to him on those records is that he was able to work with Guthrie's lyrics, so he didn't have to worry about that. 
he could just focus entirely, him and Bennett really collaborated on the music for all these songs. They could just focus entirely on the music, and he became much more than just a jukebox. He inhabited these lyrics and wrote music for them that you know Guthrie could never have imagined, and Billy Bragg, frankly, could never have imagined. They're half of an album, Mermaid Avenue Volume 1, Mermaid Avenue Volume 2, each of them are halves. You don't need the Bragg stuff, but you really do need the Wilco stuff. Airline to Heaven, Remember the Mountain Bed, and then, then finally yeah, the yeah. one that directly points to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but Somebody Some Morning Sometime is one of the finest songs that Wilco ever recorded. These are really important records to anybody who's interested in this band. I, I really love them just for you know the Tweedy Bennett contributions. Yeah, look, it's um, this uh, Mermaid Avenue has a very special place in, in my heart just because, you know, anytime you fall in love uh, at first sight, you remember that moment. It's sort of stuck in your brain forever. And so this band, uh, so much of what I've learned about it and loved about it came from listening to this album the first time, listening to that song, California Stars. Um, it's also just, you know, mind blowing when you think about it, when you consider the fact that this the genius of this album is that they're putting music to someone else's words and and, and in many cases someone else's meaning like mm-hmm. you know they don't necessarily know uh what, what was being what was what what like some of the thought process that was going on when these words were being put on the page and yet they concocted entire pieces of art out of somebody else's um somebody else's words and i, I just think that is such an, an amazing feat uh, as as artist for both Billy Bragg and for uh, Wilco. I I do not subscribe to the animosity that you all have for Billy for Billy Bragg. <laughs> um, I I love his voice. I I I tell you what, it has not uh, you know sent me down this uh, click hole uh, for a lot of his other work or um, you know, but I do enjoy when I hear a Billy Bragg song, and oftentimes when I hear. Wilco, I can think like, oh, you know, I could if, maybe if we just introduced Billy Bragg again on this song, it would also have an added, uh, it would add, add some texture to it. Um, so I think in that in that sense, uh, I, I would disagree, and I and I really only apply this to Volume One. Um, I, I think Volume Two and Three do feel like side side projects, and they do feel sort of like um, you know B sides that the, that the record companies are putting out there because Volume One was so was so successful and so critically acclaimed. Um, I would say that um, uh, that uh, like Jeff, I just love at my window, sad and lonely. Um, and the, the, but the song to this day that uh, I still get shivers from is one by one. Hmm. You know, this is a song that I could tell that Jeff Tweedy really identified uh, with when you when you hear the lyrics and and as he's you know uh, you know singing one by one, the tears are falling on the page one by one. You know, flowers are fading in my garden. One by one, my hairs are turning gray. Uh, one by one, I read your le- letters over. I, you know, I think that a lot of people, a lot of artists sort of identified with that type of um, those lyrics. And I think in many ways, he feel blessed to be able to turn that into a song with his voice and his talents behind it. One by one, my hair is turning gray. One by
And it's this is this is one of those songs when I when I when I try to turn people on to Wilco, I, I try to kind of go through the steps that I went through. I'm like, look, listen to Mermaid Avenue first, and then here's you know, then explore the rest of uh, the rest of all their uh, catalog. And trust me, you're gonna love it. And that brings us to, um, you know, I, I know there's a critical consensus, I would think, I think, that that uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the best Wilco album. And I, of course, will tell you that's wrong. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's Summer Teeth. Um, I, I, Summer Teeth is, 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 is just, just about perfection to me. It is, it is clearly one of my all-time favorite albums. And I tell you guys, I get emotional listening and talking about Summer Teeth. It is so much a part of the fabric of my life, uh, again, through college and and post-college and the shows and interpreting the lyrics and living in these songs as they were released and and played. And it it, it is such a blockbuster good album. They take what they did from being there. expand. I recall, you know, uh, Kevin said, you know, he knows when he first heard California Stars. I remember the first time I listened to and played I'm Always in Love on the radio, my college radio station. I remember hearing it that first time. I think, what are these guys doing? Because even being there being different did not prepare you, I think, for hearing I'm Always in Love, which I think was the first or the second single from the album. Um, and the rest of it is is is, is magical. There, there is, um, you know, Bennett expands even more, of course, both with his studio wizardry and the arrangements and the production and, and the songwriting, he writes every, he co-writes yeah, every co-writes single every song on this album, it, with, with two exceptions, which I actually think are, you know, <laughs> not the most important songs on the record. Right. Wow, he just just spread his wings. But yeah, and, and you know, early on, can't stand it. The first song, this was a, a, a track that was, I don't know if it was specifically written, but I know it was specifically remixed for radio. Guys, we need a hit. And the band said, all right, this one time we'll go along. And they, and they mixed Can't Stand It to be more commercial. I think the bells were added after the fact. It's a beautiful song, and it's it's one of their best. For a song that was kind of put together against the band's will, it's fabulous. Uh, you know, speakers speaking in code, which really sets up the album. It's an album, uh, a song cycle about communication, relationships, uh, what we want to say and what we actually say. I want to get back to that in a second. Uh, a shot in the arm. I know Jeff's going to praise in just a moment, so I will just say right now I will. Uh, I, I, I agree with him. I think this is probably the best Wilco song. A shot in the arm is amazing, and again, it's so uh, uncommittal. Is it a, a shot in the arm? Is it a, a bit of adrenaline, or is it a literal shot in the arm, as in some sort of pharmaceutical or, or, or an illegal substance, something bloodier than blood? Um, and one of I think Jeff Tweedy's best mental. Uh, best you know picture lyrics the the ashtray says you were up all night i love that lyric so much we're just friends which comes next i'm blown away every time i hear it It reminds me a lot of beach boys circus surfs up especially uh, feel flows it's a very similar feeling to it uh and it's a song about the narrator jeff tweedy lying to himself about what's happening in this relationship when jay bennett's vocals come in in the chorus oh man that is magical and the way the song gets set up, you know, the, the first time he says, I promise we're just friends. And the second time that line comes up again, there's this longer pause with another couple of beats in between before you hear again, we're just friends, as the as the narrator tries to convince himself. And there's a wonderful moment toward the, in the I think it's the second verse, 
um, make some coffee, hold me up, try to talk me out of, and then it leads to giving up. And you know, like in bad comedies, there's the like the audio uh, audible gulp that happens before something bad, ha- you know, bad is about to occur. There's not quite that audible gulp here as Tweety delivers that lyric, but there's a, a hitch in his giddy up, so to speak. There's a little hesitation, and he almost sort of mumbles out giving up because he's talking about suicide. And I yeah. just love that little part of that song. Uh, We're Just Friends is magical. Make some coffee. Hold me up. Try to talk me out of giving up. The album, as it unfolds, becomes almost a conversation in and of itself. Look at this. Look at the, how the way this flows. Um, Nothing's ever going to stand in my way again. Is not as upbeat as it seems, right? It's it's sort of about putting this forced smile and and fake enthusiasm about, about what's coming up next in life to this kind of marching momentum beat. How to fight loneliness? Smile all the time. It reminds me of. Uh, uh, smile away from wings we talked about a few weeks ago with paul mccartney episode not just smile once smile away just keep smiling as bad things are happening smile all the time the i actually Chicago- think of that stupid broadway song you know grace guys are gonna clear oh, up put yeah. on a happy face That's right yep <laughs> same idea though yeah. yeah and then you get to via chicago where the opening couplet is pretty well known i dreamed about killing you again last night and it felt all right to me and some graphic descriptions of of blood flowing to the sea right and then there's you're... some really dark lyrics yeah. where, where Tweedy doesn't hold anything back and he's totally unafraid to talk about some of the demons he's battling in via Chicago. I mean, he really does deserve uh, a lot of credit that for, for, for basically making this a poem that's set to music. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of Wilco's version of ambient rock, but it, it's certainly it's certainly a real big, important part of holding this album together. And then the very next song that I'll, I'll pass it off, ELT, um, it is such a, again, a, a, a upbeat musical sound to it, but the lyrics, Oh, what I, uh, what I've been missing, wishing you were dead. It's a, it's a flip from the very song before. I didn't mean to, to be so disturbing so far from home.
songs bounce off and it's a conversation between these songs about the lack of conversation or the difficulties of communicating in relationships and between friends and between just people in general uh there are so many layers and i've gone on too long about again what is one of my favorite i think this is wilco's masterpiece and the absolute apex of the of the bennett tweedy uh, relationship both in songwriting and in studio well, you're not going to find me disagreeing with you on that. I think, uh, yeah, Summer Teeth is it. This is the one. This is the one that you should hear first. This is the place you start. Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, Ghost is Born, being there, all great albums. But you got to start with this. And I think the thing that you really, you and Kevin really zoned in on that I, is absolutely correct is, is the almost compelling contrast between the brightness of most of this music very upbeat you know this is where you know the the comparisons to brian wilson and the beach boys started sort of to adhere to tweety uh even though i've never found them to be entirely apt uh more to bennett actually i think Mm -hmm. is the guy who's really pushing that this bright music very beautiful very ghostly very pretty very thoughtful and involved and then these really dark messed up lyrics that are (laughs) you know literally the sound of two guys basically losing themselves to to drugs yeah. opioids that primarily was, that was ken coomer's line studio would you say something? that was ken coomer's line he told it was, greg Cott's got a great book called i am trying to break your heart um uh, no it's not, it's not what it's called i can't remember it's that. learning how to die learning how to die thank you learning how to die is the name of the book but and then the, i think that's ken coomer's quote which is that summer teeth is the sound of two guys losing their minds in the studio Right, because you know, they both had their vices, and I think they, they kind of mutually dysfunctioned together. Um, and I think perhaps the fact that they were trying to both kick that may have played some role in, in when they fell apart later. But on this album, holy Christ, I just cannot get over the musicality of it. And again, it is the, the, the perfect synthesis of, of, of Tweedy and Bennett working in conjunction with one another. The only criticism I would level of it against it actually is that i'm not a huge fan of via chicago everyone else loves it this is one of their 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 signature songs it's on their best of it's a song they play constantly and it's a song that you love and everyone else does the lyrics are pretty good i'll grant you there's a nice darkness in them i find the music to be just very discursive and boring it's it's non-melodic and i think in a way it was a warning sign of things to come for the way Tweedy was going, and I'm going to make an argument that the next two albums, uh, his vocal approach and his melodic approach, especially the way he strings melodies together uh, with his his guitar playing, his acoustic guitar playing, has a lot to do with increasing drug addiction, uh, opioid addiction, and depression. I think that comes with it because he was he was not into, he wasn't like a cokehead or anything like that. He was he was into downers. He was into you know or barbiturates that really kind of brought him low. And you hear that slackness in his voice first start to show up on via chicago which i don't love but what i love is every other song on this album which i almost think of as the jay bennett goofy synthesizer album <laughs> <laughs> well, well you know though, the, yeah go yeah, ahead were, were you gonna know what were you gonna say Kev? i was gonna say like th- this is the actual this i think this was the actual like last physical cd that i actually bought in a record store when i bought <laughs> when i bought this uh, cd <laughs> 
Yeah, and I I bought it like I think in like 2003. It was the second uh, third Wilco album that I bought, so it must have been 2005. And it was like none of the other none of the other two ones that I had listened to, and I couldn't understand how this was the same band with largely the same personnel. When I heard all these really delightful like late 60s psychedelic uh, yeah. synthesizer lines on on songs like Every Little Thing or ELT or My Darling or even like When You Wake Up Feeling Old, which starts off as like a Tweety country song, and then all of a sudden there's like these these synths on it and the one of course that i am just obsessed with and i think is the single greatest song that wilco ever recorded is a shot in the arm and, and i consider this song i was trying to describe it last night actually on twitter when i was talking about it i said there's almost a holy purity to the pianos the keyboard opening that bennett plays on this song those sort of circular looping piano line that comes in and then of course with that that fantastic lyric that scott discussed where the ashtray says you're up all night and then when you went to bed with your darkest mind the pillow wept and these are this again beautiful beautiful music that just is very uplifting and pure and then married to these very troubling lyrics that sort of suggested that, that tweety was not in a good place Beautiful pop song. It should have been a hit, but it was too weird to be a hit. But you know, what's the what's the core? You know, the way things get, you get so high. Funny how we make new friends. And then there's that 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 kiss off. It's like, oh hey, I, I gotta go. My prayers <laughs> will never be answered again. Why throw that line into a song that's so upbeat and so poppy? Unless you're in a very dark place. So Summer Teeth has this sort of you know superficially summery and glossy and welcoming sound that I love so much, but what makes it truly compelling, what makes it a legendary album and Wilco's greatest album is how that bright pop sheen and that incredibly, you know, well-mediated songwriting approach is married to these dark, dark, truly messed up lyrics about, you know, people who are, 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 are just in basically a pit of blackness and they're trying to hide it from you and hope you won't notice. Well, I think it's great that you that I, I agree with you that it's uh, it's a really important album for them, and I, I also 
I like how you uh, you do, you defend it vigorously because so many people reflexively just say, "Oh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot's the best album that Wilco's ever done," just because of the controversy that surrounded it. But but Summer Teeth is when Wilco really steps out on its own in my mind. It's we've moved past now the battle of the bands albums being there and AM where they're sort of competing against Sunvolt, and this is where they really start to earn that that. America's Radiohead designation. You know, this is, you know, Summer Teeth is really an album in the sense of what we really, you know, think an album should be and that each song complements the next and all of the songs contribute to this, you know, this just kind of great mosaic of music. And it's, it's, it's just no longer, they're no longer focused on on just keeping the Uncle Tupelo fans happy or feeding that Uncle Tupelo vibe. It's instead, this is about exploring summer teeth is about exploring new band, new boundaries and really testing, uh, testing the audience a bit. And, um, you know, she's a jar, uh, I think is, uh, that, that, that's a song for me that, um, that is really the, the, the introduction or should be the first song on the album because, you know, Can't Stand It seems like it was a little mixed up a little bit by the record company in order to try and be a hit. But She's a Jar really puts Tweedy's genius on display. It's just this song of very dark and depressing lyrics, and it's clearly a guy wrestling with being an artist and being, uh, you know, going through the person, what he was going through personally. You know, Jeff alluded to a lot of that, but, you know, trying to be a normal husband, trying to be uh, a dad. Uh, and even wrestling with this idea of critical success. Um, I'm always in love. Um, you know, that's my favorite song on the album. It's just this real upbeat song that just, you know, cranks along. And I've always felt that that was a song that was, you know, exploring the fact and him sort of agreeing to this idea that he's just this hopeless romantic. And that, um, that helps fuel his music and his songs. But also, um, you know, he's kind of also in love with the road and touring and, and band life, even though he knows there's some hopelessness in um, a lot that comes along with, uh, you know, being a, being a rock star on the road. You know, Pie Holden Sweet, uh, that's, a, that's a really lovely uh, sort of ode to a relationship uh, that, that couldn't last due to uh, obviously someone being, uh, quote unquote, untrue. Right. It's also um, an ode to the Beatles musically. Is that, yeah. That's, that's straight up their most Beatlesque song on the record. And that's where you hear like a lot of the horns and strong, uh, a, lot, a lot of horns and strings that, you know, where they sort of put that musical showmanship on display as well. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other songs I like on that. How to Fight Loneliness, you know, there's a lot of deep meaning in that song. And, you know, fighting feelings of loneliness and depression. Uh, and sometimes people do that by lying to to themselves and covering it up. And, you know, that, that the line that always sticks uh, out to me on that is, fill your heart with smoke. Uh, and, you know, some of that may have been, 
you know, like we talking about like the antidepressants or the downers that, you know, that, uh, that Tweedy was sort of getting involved with. And, and you know, he, I don't think he was talking about tobacco and uh, when he's talking about filling your heart with smoke in order to deal with some of those feelings of loneliness. Right. But, uh, but I think everything that you say is right about this, that it's, it really is a fantastic exploration of their talents and so many diverse, really great songs on it that, that make it a real standout album uh, in their catalog. And of course, now we have to go to the big white whale of the Wilco discography. Uh, the the question that must be asked, I guess, sort of the the opening question, the way we should address this album first is saying Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. This is the album where they submitted it to Reprise, got dropped from the label because Reprise didn't like it, didn't want to release it, wanted to make changes. They were like, no, screw you. This is the record. And then, of course, it came back even stronger because of the controversy caused by critics who loved them and sort of took their flag and waved the bloody shirt, the bloody flag, you know, in the media. They got picked up by another, you know, label, which was actually also owned by Warner Brothers, which is amusing, one of those funny footnotes. And uh, it became their biggest selling album. It's sort of the album that cemented them as, you know, alt-rock legends. And, of course, this is also the album where Jay Bennett uh, finally gets, you know, at the end of it, uh, the, dis- the differences between him and Tweedy become too much. He gets fired. This is their most famous album. This is the one that I put a poll up the other day, and, like, 65% of the people said, well, this is their best album. How overrated is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot? You guys tell me. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's funny, and, and everybody again reflexively because well, I was told that Yankee, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is their best album, so therefore this is their best album, right? Because it was arguably the one that was their most critically successful, and it was arguably the one that got the most tension. Um, uh, it's certainly their most controversial album. I think you know this is where the collaboration of, of Jim O'Rourke and and the loose uh, the loose fur side project uh, really has an impact on the band. And it's creative, uh, you know, it's direction. I think Glenn Kachi, right? This is his first album. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, Leroy Bach is, uh, shows up on this one as well. If, I think it might be his last uh, album with the band. Um, but certainly they, they both bring a lot to it. And um, uh, But I, I think the, the most fascinating part about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is, is, is how it's joined with the equally fascinating documentary, which I'm glad Jeff finally saw due to our <laughs> all of our tw- all of his Twitter followers gently prodding him. Yes, um, and you making fun of me in our <laughs> like I'm going to uh, talk about how Jeff hasn't seen this film. <laughs> but I mean, it is truly a mesmerizing documentation of the making of this record, and um, what we see here is is not only the building of an album, but it's also the deconstruction of the band. Uh, and its creative process and its confrontation with the music industry. And so much of that is threaded throughout the songs that ultimately come out of it. Is this album overrated? I I would have to say yes, because I I do not think it's their best. That said, it's still a great, great album. And I'm not sure if Jeff mentioned this on air or, or before we started. You know, one of the oddities is that I don't know if there's a real standout track you know uh, i am trying to break your heart maybe is but it's the consistency it's how everything has been placed together and you know in 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 that way again if you've seen the documentary you know jay bennett wins i mean bennett was was talking about how these things fit together how they flow 
how 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 it's important to the to the sound of the album, how it all comes together. And I think he was right about a lot of that. I mean, Jim O'Rourke came back and did some mixing, but Bennett pushed a lot of this. Um, and I, I think that you know, watching the documentary and seeing these two guys, you know, split apart. There's there's a scene when they're rehearsing, I think, for the tour that's coming up, and they play. I think it's Monday. Maybe it's Monday. And they get done, and Jay's like, that was awesome. And Jeff says, you know, I think this whole two guitar thing is kind of done. It played, I remember he said, he goes, is it? Yeah, out. it's kind of played out. And Jay goes, and I remember just the reaction from Jay yeah. Bennett is, okay, dude, I don't even know what that means, yeah. but all right. <laughs> yeah, he was trying, I, Jay, I Jay was trying to scene. not have a fight about it, but it was obvious that he was like, what, are you out of your mind? That yeah. sounded great. That was great. What the, what the hell is your problem, Jeff? That scene was so important to understanding this album uh, because yeah. and, and it always stuck in my mind. It's so funny that you brought that up, Scott. <laughs> but that stuck in my mind with is it is like that creative tension that was like every minute of this album had that kind of creative tension going yeah. into it. And even like if you look at just Camera, which is a song that th- th- there's two examples there of how like the documentary shows the process that Wilco's going through as a band sort of test their musical abilities and like some of the boundaries like that they, they want to explore. But like in the documentary, you hear and see the band building these songs or working through them at their genesis. And at their genesis, they are their classic, pure like yeah. Camera is a classic, pure rock songs, very straight ahead with a conventional guitar approach, right? Straightforward vocal styling. Then what you hear from the album, which is this like very heavily produced, smoothed out version of it, um, you know, I think Wilco fans will there be some Wilco fans who say, I like camera with a K, and there'll be others who say, No, I like camera with a C. <laughs> and that's kind of what makes this 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 album the most probably talked about or debated album of of their entire catalog. A somewhat more skeptical view of this album, which is not to say that I don't love it. I, in fact, may well cite it as one of my two favorite Wilco albums at the end of this show. But, you know, listen, I, I'm, I'm sitting in an office right now uh, that I can literally see the Marina Towers uh, from my office. This is a Chicago landmark. This album is sort of every like- time I'm in Chicago, I take a picture of the, yeah. those and I, I, I tweet it out with "I'm trying to break your heart." <laughs> I worked. <laughs> I worked about a, uh, about two blocks south of there for a long time at 190 North State. Right, and so like you know, you know, trying to take down this album or even trying to criticize it again, this is like you know, like trying to scale Mount Everest uh, with your bare feet. It's just like pointless, and I still must nevertheless do it because it's there, and I have to address it. The thing I will say about uh, about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is that I, when I first heard it, I heard it without context, and even now, I, I only saw I am trying to break your heart just recently. You know, like literally, you know, yesterday, day before I watched it, and. And I've always treated this first and foremost as an album that I hear in the context of the rest of their work without knowing any of the other backstory. And what I hear is the sound of somebody who is 
as is you know we talked about that scene from the documentary which confirmed it is is on the one hand gotten really sick of what he's doing he's 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 pushing for something else and also i've got to believe that something involving his drug addictions and his his addiction to opioids and his his over medication of those things has or at least his state of mind, these things all go hand in hand, has really affected this music. Because the first thing I took away from from day one, when I heard this back in 2001, it's just, and even now that I know Summer Teeth and being there, it's immediately apparent that, that Jeff Tweedy is no longer trying to sing at all in the same way. There is an indifference, a calculated indifference to the sound of the way he sings on songs like I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, which I've never much cared for, or I'm the Man Who Loves You, which is a rhythm approach more than it is a song. There's not a song there. It's basically a percussive attack with some percussive acoustic guitar beats and a lot of noise dressed up on it. And I think the criticism that you can level against Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is that Tweedy whether it's because of drugs or whether it's because of personal, you know, you know, feelings of being lost and not knowing what to do with himself or it's friction with Jay Bennett. He's not nearly as interested in melody and in singing as he has been on the last several albums of uh, Wilco and, and uh, Uncle Tupelo's career. And so you get a lot of songs that are driven by the sounds that the rest of the band creates around him. What would these things be for the most part without all the bizarre sonic the Bennett and you know Jim O'Rourke and the rest of the band are bringing in you know, odd percussion percussion tracks, odd like you know like noise tapes, all these sound loops of like random noise that get played over and over again in the backgrounds of these songs. Really delightful keyboard touches, you know, not only from from Bennett but also from Leroy Bach and then you kind of end up thinking that a song like Ashes of American Flags, which ends so powerfully, but for the most part. I don't know. There's not a lot of a song there, is there? Camera is is just an acoustic guitar groove without a real melody. War on War is one of those songs that I like. I, I always like it when it's playing, but when it's done, I don't know if I can hum the <laughs> melody. It's only the songs like um, Heavy Metal Drummer, which is about as close to a pop hit as you can hear on this album. Would never have made it anywhere in the charts, but it's got a really nice. It, for once, it feels like something from Summer Teeth, but with a genuinely free and happy lyric, where he's you know the girl fell in love with the heavy metal drummer. Was he like playing Kiss covers and Stoned? That's a very fun reminiscence of childhood. I like that. Oh, I sincerely miss those heavy metal bands. I used to go see on the landing in the summer. She fell in love with the drummer. She fell in love with another. She fell in love. But it's only at the end of the album where the melodies finally reemerge with the last two, last three songs on it. And I think those two of those 
three are the best things on this record, and that's Pot Kettle Black in Poor Places. I think the the instrumental breakdown, particularly in Poor Places, mm-hmm. uh, where the piano starts playing that looped piano loop, I think it's Bennett probably doing it, and then there's this very soft nylon acoustic guitar line that's being played uh, simultaneously that you have to listen into the mix to hear. That is godly. That is my favorite moment on the album, and it is one of the rare moments on the album that has the lyricism and the melodicism of so much of Wilco's earlier stuff that is being stripped away on this record in service of what I know not quite, but I've always found that to be the the ding that I make on it, and I don't really think that a lot of the critics who praise this thing endlessly really reckon with fully. So I've been pretentious enough. I, I've been Jay Bennett talking about this record. So can somebody I jump in there on, um, yeah. on actions of the American flags because you brought up something I thought was important. It's, a, and yeah. it's kind of like a, that, that song uh, is is like a case study for this album. I mean, I think the record execs at Warner. Uh, was it Warner? Right? It was Warner. It was Warner Reprise. Uh, Warner Reprise. Okay. Reprise. But, but they're all owned by the umbrella. Yeah, yeah. The, the record execs that dropped Wilco, whoever the whoever that was. They probably did so after hearing uh, Ashes of, uh, of American Flags, because, you know, if this was and, and look, if this was the first Wilco song you ever heard, you'd probably hate it. You know, there's tons of distortion on there. These tons of cl- like lots of clashing musical styles. You got strings, you got piano, maybe even some horns in there. But there's still some beauty in it. But it takes what I think a lot of people who like Wilco kind of enjoy about the band, which is it takes a great deal of patience. And mm-hmm. record executives, and quite frankly, most musical fans, right, don't have a lot of patience. Um, and as, and it was this was brought up in in by one of the music critics that was interviewed in the documentary. You know, Ashes of American Flags, and it, it, it doesn't tell you who it's for and how to sell it. And that's why it's this is one of those songs that sort of stands out in my mind as like a case study for why there's this big debate over over or there's a there's always a fierce debate over Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I would like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the falling leaves filling up shopping bags. Uh, I want a couple quick things before uh, we move. Pot Kettle Black 
is the best song of this album, uh, Fight Me. Uh, I, I think it's the best song of the album. <laughs> um, good lyrics, uh, strong lyrics, It's Become So Obvious, You Are So Oblivious to Yourself is a wonderful turn uh, by Tweety. When the acoustic guitar hits in the chorus and Tweety's going into, you know, I'm tied in and not, I love that moment of the song. And one of the nice things about Pot Kettle Black is it doesn't descend into this, you know, cacophony of, of noise or distortion at the end. They actually bring the melody back uh, to close out the song. And I, I love that. I love Pot Kettle Black. I'll keep you in my locket. A string I'm ever strong. It's become so obvious. You are so Um, and I, I also point out that yeah. Pot Kettle Black sounds almost exactly like it was taken from In Between Days by The Cure. Um, that same guitar change, you know, the yesterday I got so old I felt like I could die. Same chords underneath, which, by the way, it's not played. Totally different melodies, but the chord changes. I, listen, there's just no doubt in my mind that Jeff <laughs> Tweedy had a copy of the head on the well, in my mind here. You're absolutely yeah. Now that I think about it, exactly the same. Great song. And by the way, one of the things that Scott says about that, which I like, is that that song is intelligible. There's a problem with some of the lyrics on this album, too, I would say, is that the, the songs no longer mean things. They're just images, scattershot images that were almost assembled, you know, collaged into songs like Ashes of American Flags has these really nice images. I remember just the line at the end, like, I'd like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the fallen leaves filling up shopping bags and you sort of get this image of like you know summer lawns or, or fall lawns you know where people have you know raked the leaves and put them out in the driveway to be collected <laughs> by the garbage man nice image but what does it mean in the song I don't know pot kettle black that has a meaning heavy metal drummer Silly, although it is, it's as close to a, quote, good time throwaway as you're going to find on this album. That has a meaning to it. I don't know what the meaning to I am trying to break your heart is. I think it was just lines that he put together because they felt maybe emotionally right for him, but there's no coherence to them. This is me being far more critical about this album than I actually feel. I mean, I put it on all the time and I love it, but, you know, I got to be tough but fair. (laughs) I want to mention quickly, uh, after Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was released, there was an EP release called More Like the Moon. You can find these songs on the uh, Alpha Mike Foxtrot uh, kind of B-sides live outtake uh, collection that's been put out since then. It's a really solid EP. I like it an awful lot, and it also caps the Jay Bennett portion of Wilco's career. Uh, There's a really nice song uh, called Bob Dylan's 49th Beard, which is just Tweety and, and a guitar mostly. And there's a just classic Bennett song called a magazine called Sunset. There are, I believe, three different kinds of keyboards in the first 10 seconds of this song. That's how Jay Bennett this song is. Uh, it's a summer song. It's an upbeat song. It's got a sunny melody, a nice uh, line, a magazine called Sunset and the tape machine that won't let me forget this impossible longing for you. It's a wonderful song. There's a magazine called Sunset and a tape machine that won't let 
Well, what is it? I guess it was his attempt to sonically represent the migraines, migraines. that he got all yep. throughout his childhood and his adult life. But it's 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 boring. I, I've heard it once, and, and I always skip it. And the song that it's attached to isn't really that much more distinguished either. It's not a great song. But I will say this, that I really like the rest of this album, and I think it's hugely underrated. I think of this album the same way I think of R.E.M.'s Up which you know we, we covered rem mm-hmm. early on in, in in our show and i think the thing about up is that's the album they did right after bill barry left uh he had an aneurysm on tour and he, he had to quit the band for his health concerns and the sound of up by rem is the sound of them sort of struggling to adapt to the loss of a core member and doing things rather differently and coming up i thought with a lot of gold in in, in the doing and I feel that way about A Ghost is Born as well. Uh, this is the album where Tweedy famously plays just a ton of lead guitar, mm-hmm. which is not something he had ever really done before because that was what, I mean, we think of Bennett as a keyboardist. We've talked a lot about his contributions with like sound loops and keyboards and things like that. But he, was, he actually was brought on to be the lead guitarist for Wilco, and he played a lot of that stuff live. Um, on this album, Tweedy takes over, and on a song, like at least that's what you said, I think it works magnificently. This is a song that almost sets a template for what Wilco would end up doing with a lot of their later songs, I think with diminishing returns, where they have like a nice little song at, at the front. It's, it's, it's well-constructed with some interesting chord changes, and then it ends with this, this big freak-out guitar solo. Um, this is the sort of the prototype of that form, and it is really wonderful. This is this big, angry, Neil Young-style emotional and emotive guitar freak-out. There's nothing about this that's flashy or, or chops. Like it, it, It's pure emoting, and I think it works really well. Also think that you know as far as sort of the quieter folk moments go muzzle of bees which is one of the most ridiculous titles uh, <laughs> of any wilco song ever i don't know what a, a muzzle of bees is it reminds me of that simpsons episode where uh, mr burns chases people off of his yes. property with you know, <laughs> the dogs that shoot out of their mouth yes <laughs> you, know, you know the dogs that open their mouth and bees come out to sting people yeah that's muzzle of bees um but in fact he may even be named after that but i think it's a beautiful song a beautiful sort of quiet acoustic guitar thing with some very pretty touches that that develops into a little bit more craziness at the end of it. But the one that really jumps out to me is Spiders, Kid Smoke. I don't know what the lyrics to that song mean, and I've never even explored them carefully. But what I love about it is it's a straight up new Neu. Uh, this is a German krautrock band of the 70s called Neu, N-E-U exclamation point, uh, who did a lot of very deep groove, repetitive 
based music. Uh, Radiohead was also deeply influenced by them. You can hear Radiohead's take on noise sound when songs like Cut Tooth or Full Stop off of their most recent record. Uh, and I think Wilco's version is is every bit as compelling. It's just this long 10-minute metronomic groove, like and then it cuts into the uh, the great descending riff. So this is the different it's new it's them pushing boundaries and exploring into something that had previously not been in the wilco repertoire there is no song that sounds like spiders on any of the previous five albums that wilco had put out there's nothing i think that they would do afterwards that sounds like this i think this is kind of the moment where they began to to retrench to to go back into you know a, a more quieter safer sound i think a lot of that has to do with with tweedy cleaning up his act going into rehab he went into rehab right before this record was released he got off of his his addiction to to barbiturates to opioids he seems like a much happier man honestly and i'm very grateful for that because the, i mean look at what happened to jay bennett jay bennett died of fentanyl overdose you know he's one of the early victims of the opioid crisis it's a really sad story and he was taking it to medicaid for pain he had, he had hip problems you know he was probably living in like physical agony in the last years of his life and you know i'm so glad that tweedy kicked it too but when he did he lost some of that urgency and weirdness um that you hear on a ghost is born which i think is the last of the sort of truly innovative wilco albums they would never make a bad record after this but the records they made after this i think are are less exciting and they're less ambitious sometimes when you're ambitious you're gonna fall flat on your face because you're gonna take a chance that doesn't come off but i still respect you for taking the chance and that's what i hear on a ghost is born this album it's 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 not in my top two but there is a lot of just special music in here and a lot of unique music and you know i think it, you know it starts off uh very definitively with at least that's what you said you know i think if if you didn't like the new direction offered by uh yankee hotel foxtrot if you listen to the first you know minute 30 of this song and you think oh you know great like another experimental uh, you know, adventure of, of dreary lyrics and piano. But then, you know, right at that two-minute mark where, you know, that electric guitar crank or, or, you know, that choke sound kicks in along with the piano jam, that uh, I always thought, I always say, every time I hear it, I think it sounds like the crazy guy from the Muppets who hits his head, <laughs> you know, on the piano uh, keys when he can't remember the words. But when that kicks in, you're just like, yes, you know, this is just such a, it's such a kick-ass instrumental uh, in that song. And I totally agree with Jeff on, on Spider's Kid Smoke. It's one of my favorite songs on this album. It's one of my favorite Wilco songs. 
And, you know, when that instrumental comes in at that, at, you know, a couple times, I think it's at the, like the four minute mark and the eight minute mark. It's just, it's the exact kind of jam that you just save for like an open road in, in a fast car. And I also love how like, you know, at the, at the end of it, you know, Tweety is just laying on these really sort of slumbering slurred lyrics. Uh, you know, there's no blood on my hands. I just do as I'm told. Um, it's just, it's really great. I, now, this is a song that I've never seen live, and maybe Scott, you can illuminate us on this, but it must be awesome to hear Spiders and Kid Smoke uh, live. Uh, it's just yes, this great song. It is. Yep, and, yep. Um, you know, Muzzle of Bees is, is one of my favorite Wilco songs as, as well, because it's just the perfect, it's the perfect mix uh, of this album and the perfect mix of, of Wilco's range, right? Which is, it's got a lot of really sweet lyrics and acoustic uh, purity. And then that's just blended with just really big, loud guitars and some and some of Kachi's really bold, uh, bold drums. So it's um, I think the, I think the only other song that I think stands out for me, I love Handshake Drugs. But one of the other songs that stands out for me is I'm a Wheel, which has this real um, that's like a real punkish vibe. Uh, and um, I know we're all Replacements fans because I've listened to uh, Political Beats um uh, uh the uh the podcast you had on the replacements but this does sound like a a replacement song from the early 80s if if Jim O'Rourke had a hand in what the math sounded like back then After a ghost is born, Tweety gets clean, which uh, Jeff had alluded to. And the first post-rehab album also includes some new band members, too. Um, you've got uh, Klein on guitar, Pat Sassone. They all actually had uh, Michael uh, Jorgensen was already on A Ghost is Born. So this is like, this is the Wilco lineup. This is now one that's going to be, actually, we will you know, we'll know, steady for about the next decade or so. And Sky Blue Sky is the result. And this is the one that got tagged with the Dad Rock label. And I don't think undeservedly so, but I like it a lot more now that I re-listen to it than I did back then. It's almost the sound of a cloud lifting, uh, of Tweety being clean. Everything is more direct. Everything is, is cleaner, clearer. The studio effects, the Jim work treatment has largely been left in the past. The lyrics are about, uh, everyone points to uh, hate it here, about you know taking out the garbage and washing the dishes and getting the mail. And those sorts of things. Um, I know this is a this is a huge favorite of, of, of Kevin, so I want him to kind of lead off and take uh, take us where he wants to go with Sky Blue Sky. Yeah, I'd say you know this is one of Sky Blue Sky is one of my is one of my top two uh, albums uh, from Wilco, and maybe it's because of my current station. Like I am at a four, as a forty six year old man uh, and father, uh, I am the epitome of dad rock. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I found Sky Blue Sky. Like, it's just very introspective. Every song on it is worth a, uh, is worth a listen. Uh, my favorites are, are Either Way and Sky Blue Sky. Uh, you know, Either Way is just a lovely song. It's, it's about coming to terms with uncertainty. And, you know, I think, as we mentioned earlier, Tweety had just uh, come out of rehab for painkillers. And, 
I even love the kind of 70s lounge guitar riff that, uh, you know, joined up with the electric piano and strings on this song. Um, Impossible Germany is, uh, I think, another standout uh, song on this album. It's, uh, you know, obviously about an, an unlikely or odd alliance. And there's just there's just great there's just great music and lyrics in it. And it's got this perfect kind of guitar duel going on in it. And then uh, Sky Blue Sky, uh, it, it, you know, you can hear Tweety talking. Um, very personally about um, getting out of somewhere and being happy to have survived. You know, maybe it was about his hometown, maybe it's about Bellevue, Illinois, or maybe it's about rehab, but it's just a song with a great, nice lullaby quality to it that I think really resonates. And I think the same for What uh, what Light. Uh, it's certainly a song that is reflective of Tweedy's um, experience, I think, in surviving rehab. It almost sounds like a hymn, uh, and there's like lessons in the lyrics for a lot of those uh, people listening to it, you know, if you're strung out like a kite or stung awake in the night, uh, it's all right to be frightened. You know, where, when, when there's a light, what light, there's a light, what light. Um, a lot of that really does speak to the experience that, that Jeff Tweedy was going through. And I think it's, uh, it really is a great snapshot of of, um, of, a, of a songwriter who is, uh, you know, coming into that light. And if you're strung out like a kite I've stung awake in the night It's alright to be frightened When there's a light What light When there's a light What light When there's a light Why light Inside of you I think about these late period Wilco albums the same way I think about uh, the late period Pearl Jam albums. I remember we talked about this on, on our Pearl Jam episode That's where really good. you come back to them and, and, you know, they don't have the same profile as like the really exciting creative period. And you listen to them and you say to yourself like, well, huh. That's actually really good. <laughs> These are all very fine, well-crafted records. They don't have the same frisson that came from, I guess, you know, the period where there was a lot of creative friction in the band. There was tension with the label. There's the drug issues. There's all those things. But they're perfectly pleasant albums, and I don't even mean that to sound as, as sort of damning with faint praise as it does. There's nothing on Sky Blue Sky that is is hard to listen to, that it, that is boring. I would say, you know, Shake It Off is kind of like, I don't know, the, the soul thing doesn't work for me that much on that song it's not a bad attempt at that. i appreciate them trying something a little different um impossible germany again is that template you know at least that's what you said where it starts off with this nice little quirky song and then it goes into these magnificent soaring guitar solos which is you know, kind of becomes the latter era wilco trademark but the one thing i really want to single out on this album is the last song on and on and on which i think is the best song on sky blue sky and uh, it's probably my favorite latter era Wilco song of them all. It's the one that has that, that still has that sand and the Vaseline grit that you heard in their earlier music. You know, what was Jay Bennett to Wilco? Jay Bennett was the irritant, the sand and the, and the oyster that, you know, he, he probably, you know, pissed off a lot of the other members of the band you know i'm sure he could be megalomaniacal and he had all these pretenses and artistic ambitions and he's bouncing off of tweedy as well but that irritation created a pearl created a gem 
and, and you hear that in so much of their music from that era. This is the one song on Sky Blue Sky that has that sound to me, whereas this is nagging piano line that goes through the entire thing, and it and it has a, a lyric that I always thought was very touching, very good as the final thing. You know, we'll stay together. You know, we'll be together. Please don't cry. We're designed to die. Don't deny what's inside. It, it's, it feels like it's, it's a song maybe from him to his son or to his wife. Uh, you know, and you could interpret it either way. The story behind it, uh, Jeff, is that it was actually a, it's a song about Jeff from Jeff Tweedy to his dad. There you after go. His mother, after his mother had passed away. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, okay. So you're right. Yeah, it's a very clearly personal that, song. Yeah. Clearly those intimations of mortality are, are in that song, and it's really moving. And the arrangement of that song is the one song on Sky Blue Sky that, that, that puts me in the mind of the earlier stuff. I really love it, and it's, it's the one on this one that sticks with me. Sky Blue Sky, um, I remember reading the review in Pitchfork when it came out, and I had to go back and get the exact quote because it was still rattling in my head. Either way, which is the leadoff track, has this very clean guitar solo from from Klein, and Pitchfork's uh, reviewers said that that solo was, quote, straight up Weather Channel local on the eights. Ah! I love that description of that solo. Uh, my favorite song on Sky Blue Sky, though, is Side with the Seeds. I think that's a great song. Very soulful performance uh, with piano and organ. There's there's two separate uh, guitar jam freakouts inside with the Seeds. Uh, that is definitely my favorite uh, track on Sky Blue Sky. But you and I will be undefeated by green to disagree. As I mentioned, listening to it again in recent years, I like it more than I did when it came out in uh, what eleven years ago in, in twenty oh seven. But I and also uh, the, the, the the thanks I get, which was not on the album, left off the album, but from the Sky Blue Sky sessions. You might have heard it in the Volkswagen commercial around that time. The thanks I get is uh, is Pretty one of my song, favorite yeah. songs from the session, uh, left off. But you can you can go find that. 
And I, now we have to give Wilco credit for being one of the bands to achieve the all-important song trifecta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So like Bad Company, the band, uh, released the album Bad Company with the hit single Bad Company or Talk Talk by Talk Talk from the album Talk Talk. Well, what, 20-something years into Wilco's career, what do they do? It's Wilco the album by the band Wilco with featuring the hit single Wilco the song. And I don't know why they decided to do that, to just suddenly go off self-referential like that because this is like one of those funny rock tropes uh, and, and they had to be aware of it. But that's a damn good song. Yeah. It's a really good song. <laughs> so if I... The, the best song on this record, which is a pretty scattershot affair. Times getting tough. All the roads you travel rough. Have you had enough of the old? Tired of being exposed to the cold. Stare of your stereo. If I have to defend one of these last four albums, you know, Wilco, The Whole Love, Star Wars, Shmilko, uh, I'm going to defend this one, actually. Um, it's pretty accessible. I think some of the melody, melody that had been missing previously returns. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's still a precision to the work. There's occasions on this album where I think, oh, that, that's, that sounds like Steely Dan in studio, making sure everything sounds just perfect. These guys have become really studio perfectionists when they're trying to make their albums. But I think there are three outstanding songs on this album. One is Wilco, which Jeff mentioned, and it, 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 it gets just stuck in your head. It has a Summer Teeth-style rhythm to it, almost an I'm Always in Love shuffle that I like a, an awful lot. Um, you Never Know is a clear George Harrison uh, you know, pastiche or George Harrison homage, whatever you want to call it. That's a great, great song. And I think almost hands down the best post-Bennett song I think if, in my head, if I want to say this, because that includes uh, Ghost is Born, I think so, is I'll Fight. I'll Fight from this album is, I, I, I love I'll Fight. It's a little pedal steel, a little B3 organ. This is one of those songs where, again, Tweety's lyrics, there's more than meets the eye. A, a, a simple scan would say, oh, it's a love song. I'll fight for you. I'll die for you. I'll do. I'll. And it's actually, when you read it about, you know, the Civil War, you know, families could pay soldiers to take the place of their loved ones, their sons, their grandsons. And so this is, this is written from a, the perspective of, of a soldier. He's not desperate for love. He's desperate for survival, fighting in the Civil War. I love the, the, the lyrics from Tweety. I think musically, it's, it's a great, great song. I'll Fight, again, probably is my favorite post-Bennett Wilco song. It's great. For you to live, I took your place. A deal was made and I was paid. Gold as I was told in the place where my body could be laid. We'll steal your life, die old and better homes surrounded by your peers without suffering or fear. Grandchildren far near and none will shed a tear for the love. I mean, 
One Wing, Bull Black Nova, I think it was also pretty good, fairly experimental songs. This is the sort of the, the, the mold that they would establish for these last few albums up until the present day, where like everything is very well accomplished and everything is very, you know, th these songs are not simple. They're all put together with real thought and careful attention to the chord changes and the melodies, uh, but there's not a chaos, the creative chaos that exemplified their early career. Yeah, I think... Um Wilco, the album, this is probably the album that uh, reminded me most of being there in that it's very laid back. Um, I think Wilco, the song, sort of perfectly encapsulates that and the album. I will say, having just crushed on their whole entire catalog to prepare for this uh, <laughs> prepare for this podcast, this is the one song that I cannot get out of my head, is Wilco, the song. It's a total earworm. Um, I don't necessarily mean to think that's it's the best song on the album, but it is a song that it's really hard to forget, and it's... It's got a real um, sort of memorable sing-along quality to it. The one, the song that I think is a standout, standout song on the song, the best song on the album, uh, that, that I, I cannot believe actually engendered some level of controversy, was You and I. I absolutely no, love, yeah, I love this song. It's a duet with Feist. Um, and I think it's the first duet with someone from outside the band um, on a Wilco album. It kind of reminds me of uh, Beth Orton and Terry Callier's Lean On Me, which is just this perfectly paired set of voices and um i have i absolutely love it and i, I hope um that jeff that jeff tweedy and feist get together and do maybe some more you and i might be strangers however close we get sometimes it's like we never met but you and i Take it All the good with the bad Make something No one else has But you and I Now the next one is The Whole Love And I gotta say this is my I don't know. I, I don't have many thoughts about this record. This is as close as they get to an anonymous record to me. I, 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 I kind of like the opening song, Art of Almost. Um, <clears throat> another long one. And I, well, maybe Capital City sometimes does something for me. Born Alone, okay. Mm -hmm. But man, this, this, is the, this is the moment where I'm like thinking, well, okay, I, I've heard all these tricks before and I'm not hearing anything that feels particularly new to me. Very professional, very tasteful, very likable dad rock. It's very nebulous. It's a, it's, that's the only word I could ever really think of as I went through the whole of like it doesn't stand out at all to me it's a very nebulous album it's it's you know it's got like Born Alone is a really catchy tune that has a, a kinks vibe to it mm -hmm. um there's some really funky lyrics in there um Standing O is is you know it's it's again it's allowed a little bit of sound like the kinks or the cars it's but it's a yeah. it's a great upbeat um rocker um but there's just really um there, there, it doesn't have a dis it's not a very distinct album no. When you talk amongst fans that uh, fans of Wilco, uh, whole love largely leaves me cold. I think even the even the kind of singles I might uh, was was a single. Standing O is an up tempo song. They're just kind of middling up tempo numbers that don't. It doesn't do. A lot. I do love Art of Almost. I would listen to a whole song, a whole album of songs like the Art of Almost, but that is not what the rest of the album is. Um, after that release, Jeff Tweedy did, did a couple of things by himself band comes back in 2015 with a surprise album called Star Wars, released for free online. You can't beat the price. 
Uh, and actually, you also can't beat the name, by the way. I mean, <laughs> I give, I, I'm not a huge fan of this album, but I'm a huge fan of uh, Wilco naming an album Star Wars and then putting a picture of a cat on the cover. I love the album cover. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the album cover. I want that as a poster, even though this is not one of my favorite albums. That apparently <laughs> is in their uh, recording studio, that cat on the cover is of it? Star Wars. Uh, yeah. I actually like Star Wars quite a bit. Not as much as, as Wilco, the album. But uh, it's it's lean. It's only about a half an hour um, of of uh, eleven songs or so. Random name generator. It's the best, toughest, fuzzed up riff in a long, long time. Yeah, best and, song on the record. And the way Tweety yeah. plays with that phrase, which is just a phrase, you know, random name generator. It sounds interesting and cool, and plays with that phrase through the uh, delivery is neat. Ceiling, which was co-written with uh, Scott McCoy, is a really appealing mid-tempo song. Uh, and he's got a co-write, which again, Tweedy does not do a whole lot, has not done a whole lot since Bent left. Pickled Ginger has some spoon influences that I hear, and Cold Slope is a, it's a neat little bluesy number. There's enough to keep me interested in Star Wars. I think this is this is way better than Whole Love, and I think it's, it's better than Schmilko as well. I think this is probably, you know, of their last four uh, releases, this is the best of them. And uh, I, by the way, you know, I've, I see, say this all the time. You got to love an album that just says what it wants to say and leaves in 30 minutes. You know, <laughs> albums, sometimes there's like 60 minutes and, you know, they threw on an extra 10 minutes of noise on Ghost is Born. You're like, oh, God, get finish, please. end, end. done in 30 minutes. I love that about that album, too, because it, it means to me that, you know, you're confident in that you said everything you have to say and you don't need to, you know, bore us with uh, you know your pretensions to prove that you're making some sort of major statement i like that yeah i think one of the things that uh, and let me just kind of bring the whole love back into this the whole love star wars and schmilko i think they they are they suffer because we are in this sort of click through era now where you know i get most of my music probably like you guys do from spotify or pandora and if i'm listening to an album i can quickly kind of quick click through it whereas when i first bought summer teeth I, you know, I sat there and unwrapped the CD and put it in the CD player, and I sat there and I read the lyrics and I listened to the songs over and over and over. And these albums, um, I think, all kind of came to us in that area where streaming music, where it's really easy to just swipe right and go to a next song. But Star Wars does have a lot of, of, of notable songs, and I think I, I agree with Random Name, Name Generator. It's just a fun, like, heavy rock anthem. I think it's paired really nicely with the joke explained, right? Which they, they kind of have a similar sound. Mm -hmm. The song that actually stands out the most for me on this is, is, is you satellite. Um, I'm, and it's, it's, it does, I'm not saying this just because of the Lou, Lou Reed, you know, name connection on, on satellite, but it really does sound like a Lou Reed or velvet underground tune. It's very distinct, uh, uh song, uh, on the album. And, uh, and I really do, um, I do like it. And it start, it's really, I think it continues to grow on me. Um, Taste the Ceiling is another great song. It's just got a great rhythm with a sing-along quality. And I would say about Pickle Ginger, uh, Scott, uh, I don't, I didn't hear Spoon. I heard, I thought that that was a song that 
that Lemmy could have uh, could have uh, <laughs> written for the the Wilco with a slightly do- a toned down version of Wilco version of Lemmy. Yeah, uh, and then Schmilko, the, uh, the the most recent album released a, a year after Star Wars. Uh, I'm not sure about the name on this one, but it's a, I know it's a Harry Nilsson thing. Uh, this is a a more low key acoustic affair. Reminds me a bit of what was happening on Sky Blue Sky. I, I, I'm not, it's pretty inoffensive. There's one I think the one standout track here is Cry All Day, which has a really neat double time beat from Glenn Kochi to kind of uh, propel things through and a and, and a uh, confessional. Time Type set of lyrics from Jeff Tweedy. I, I like Cry All Day a bit, but uh, the rest of it is is a, is a little downbeat. Best thing about it is its name. And you know, it's funny. You, you go like look up these albums, and they all you know very typically get like A minus, B plus, four stars, five stars <laughs> from the reviewers because they've sort of settled into that thing where like yo, every new thing that they release is going to be rated well because it's a you know this is a great band and so they make great albums. Kind of the same thing that happens with Radiohead actually. Whether their albums are good or they're not so good, they're going to get the top reviews no matter what. I don't really think this deserved the praise that it got it was uh to me a bit too much like the whole love it was just it, it, it fades into itself I, Tweety's is obviously become increasingly fond of playing these sort of acoustic shows uh you know solo pieces solo concerts and you feel like that has seeped its way into the wilco approach you didn't hear that on star wars which is what i liked about it it was a bit of a left turn but this one feels a bit too much like yeah i'm back into comfortable comfortable uh, grooves and comfortable recording habits and writing habits. Um, but uh, this is a band and Tweedy is an artist who has always surprised me with his willingness to sort of upset the apple cart and do something different. So I, I have a hope and I'm definitely looking forward to the next record that comes out, even though I wasn't too much of a fan of this one. Yeah, I was surprised that this album made, you know, it made a ton of best of the year list. I, I actually had I put together my own list in 2016, and uh, "If I Ever Was a Child" was actually one of my I thought was one of the top songs of that year. Yeah, that's a good and it's song. Quick, yeah, yeah, it's quickly become like, I think a Wilco favorite. And I And, and I just, I found it, you know, to be a pretty soothing balm in what was a purely insane year in 2016. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Tweety, Tweety did say this is one of those albums where he kind of just said, you know, screw it. When it came to uh, maybe filtering certain thoughts or emotions as a songwriter. And I think that came through uh, on a lot of these songs. And it's a, it's a pretty good album. I, I, I would agree that it wasn't exactly one of those that I thought was, uh, the, you know, one of the top albums of the year. And that critics are sort of reflexively always uh, pushing Wilco to the top, um, <laughs> even though I'm not sure this album was uh, was was one of their best. All right. We have come to that part of the episode where we choose our two albums that you should own from Wilco and five songs that you just have to hear. A very difficult task with a band like Wilco. We turn it over to our guest uh, to give us his lists. Kevin Madden, the floor is yours. 
Am I giving albums and songs? Yes. Yep. All right, here we go. Start so with the albums. My two, yeah, my two key albums are uh, Summer Teeth uh, and Sky Blue Sky. I think Summer Teeth because it's this is the album when they break away and they really form their own identity, and you can trace a lot of of where uh, where Wilco uh, is going and has been through what they experimented with on this album. Sky Blue Sky, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fight you guys on this one just because you know you guys call it you guys call it dad rock. I call it when the band's maturity really is in full force, uh, and it's um, every song on that album is 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 fantastic. Uh, I think is worth a listen. My top five songs, uh, kind of going through there there over the years. Well, I'll start off with from AM, Box Full of Letters. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, then followed by Forget the Flowers. Uh, from being there and then i'm always in love from summer teeth that's my favorite song on that album and then i'm the man who loves you i know jeff said it was more of just a kind of a musical look but i think the lyrics and just like the the, the hyped up nature of that of of that tune uh really helps define that album and then the last but not least spiders kid smoke great song scott uh my two albums perhaps to no surprise, being there and Summer Teeth, back to back. I think those are, are, are the two finest. And as I mentioned, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is a great album. I just think it's uh, a little slightly uh, slightly less great than those two songs. This is so impossible. Um, uh, Shot in the Arm, which, like Jeff, think uh, I think could be their greatest song from, from uh, Summer Teeth. So we'll go with a Shot in the Arm. I Got You from being there, one of their best rockers in their career, tremendous live, great sing-along stuff in concert. Uh, so I Got You's on the list. Uh, I'm going to go with Pot Kettle Black from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I do think it is the best song on the album, All Things Considered. Speaking of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, one of the outtakes, uh, yeah, from either the More Like the Moon EP or from uh, Alpha Mike Foxtrot, go find a magazine called Sunset. It's just really a capper on the Jay Bennett contribution to Wilco's career. And this fifth song, man, what am I going to do here? Um, <laughs> you know what? I Say you miss me from being there. Um, I explained earlier how much I really like that song, both musically and lyrically. So we'll go with Say You Miss Me for number five. Jeff, to you. You can't really, you can't really go wrong, nah, can you? It's, no, you it's can't. not like you're going to name a, like a bad <laughs> song. Um, okay, for me, two albums. First, obviously, Summer Teeth. Uh, just, you know, Scott and I were agreed on the merits of this. It's just a magnificent record. We all love this record. We all want you to go get this record and listen to it. My second one, and this is going to sound ironic because I spent so much time criticizing it uh, and sort of, you know, playing devil's advocate, but it's going to be Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. It is overrated it is not their best album because their best album is summer teeth but it is a fascinating record it is almost a sort of a tone poem at, at a certain point you, you, the songs begin to run together and they begin to all sort of play off of one another and it is also a, a an album that that captures a distinct mood and gives you an insight into not only the band and, the, and the, the, the friction of the band dynamic that was currently falling apart, but also sort of the internal demons that Jeff Tweedy has. And you can, you can hear his exhaustion on this record. You can hear his sadness. You can hear uh, sort of the cul-de-sac that he was heading for emotionally and physically on it. And it makes for a really fascinating album. And the melody in the music ultimately is there along with the production. It just seems to be a lot more muted than it is on an album 
like Summer Teeth. That said, I love being there just as much as all of these albums. And so you, you can pick any of those two. Um, five songs. First one is Red Eyed and Blue from Being There. Uh, to me, sort of the, the first moment where you understand the magic that Jay Bennett brings to the group just by a simple piano accompaniment. It sounds so wonderfully ghostly and pure, so sad, so honest, so real. That is uh, probably one of my two favorite Wilco songs of all time. But my favorite Wilco song of all time is, as Scott said, A Shot in the Arm off of Summer Teeth, which I don't need to explain why I love it so much because I already have. The other one I would name from Summer Teeth is Can't Stand It. Yeah, maybe they made it into a pop song at the behest of the record label, but wow, what damn good pop song it is. I love that weird, hinky, almost banjo-like opening riff. I love the way that it then goes into this very sort of yearning chorus and these very, very curious chord changes, and then the Mellotron floats in, and all of a sudden you're in a psychedelic wonderland from uh, what you thought was going to be a country rock song. Great piece. One song from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, you have to pick one, I'll pick Poor Places. Why Poor Places over all the other ones? Well, I think it's because ultimately the instrumental breakdown on that is the finest uh, purely non-lyrical moment on the record, and the one that relies the most on the band's skills and abilities is ensemble players and arrangers. I love that the way that the guitars and the piano and the drums all interact with one another on Poor Places. It's just a beautiful song on a, on a, a truly great album. And then the last one, just like Kevin, I'm going to go with Spider's Kid Smoke, which, you know, uh, who knew that Wilco was going to try to do kraut rock? on their fifth album. Thank God that they did because it's 10 minutes of delirious thumping, you know, rhythmic danceable joy. And just like him, I want to go hop in a car and drive all the way down the highway as fast as I can. When they get to that, that instrumental breakdown midway through the song. Those are my five. All right, there we are. The political beats look at Wilco. We thank our guest today, Kevin Madden, Republican strategist, a CNN commentator, former advisor to President George W. Bush, Governor Mitt Romney, John Boehner, Tom DeLay. Find him on Twitter at Kevin Madden DC. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I can't thank you guys enough for having me. We could have gone another hour, unfortunately. We <laughs> sure could have. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we'll do that for the Uncle Tupelo episode. Coming soon. <laughs> yeah, Sunvolt, too. Don't forget them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our feed. New episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. Most Mondays they come out, plus nationalreview.com. Check out the archives, listen, enjoy, share, leave reviews. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Jeff, we'll do it again next week. As always, my friend. Find Jeff at EsotericCD on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram, at Scott Bertram on Twitter. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.